Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello there and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and today I'm joined by Mark Douglas and Stu Rayner. It's his debut uh, podcast today on this version. Anyway, how are we all doing today, gents? Good, thank you. Yeah, busy, busy. It's been a busy week so far. It has indeed and that's exactly where we're going to start. There's only one topic that we really can uh, kick things off with and that is that Newcastle United is officially up for sale. Mark, we kind of knew it was up for sale, you know, it hadn't been said um, had been confirmed, but it's been clear that Mike Ashley has been possibly trying to sell the club for at least the last the last few months, and now he officially has announced that he wants some buyers to come in. Yeah, I think the club's been for sale um, unofficially for years, really. I think I think that you know the, the club have always said. I, I even remember Derek Lambias giving an interview uh, a few years back saying, "Look, you know, if anybody's interested, then you know we're not going to stand in the way if anybody feels they can come in and take the club forward." Um, that's changed over this summer because I think Mike Ashley is uh, a combination of factors. Mike Ashley thinks now the valuation is um, probably as high as it's going to be while he's in charge because he's got the happy um, factor of having Rafa there, Premier League football. They've started quite well. So obviously, you know, investors could come in and and feel pretty confident that the club could stay up this year. They've not, they don't look completely out of um, out, out of the way and also the TV deal coming up um, there's also the tax probe as well so I think those factors have all kind of jangled together to make Mike Ashley feel like well this is the time to test the water um, the statement in itself is new and, and and a little bit different because I think although it's probably a positive in that it's um, it's maybe eradicated some of the uncertainty for me it's it, it also there's a negative side of it in that it if there was somebody ready to buy the club straight away or complete a quick takeover, which is what Mike Ashley wants, he wouldn't need to have put the statement out. Um, so, you know, it, it is definitely an attempt to sort of flush out interest. What what was kind of the only new news line really for, for, from, a, from our perspective was that he said he's prepared to maybe stagger the payments, maybe structure it in a different way because he really wants... Um, he really wants to see if there's any interest in his price. Now, my take on it is that there is definitely interest there, but I still think his price is probably proving a bit too high for the people who've kind of sniffed around. We know there's four people with non-disclosure agreements, as far as we know. Um, there's other people who are interested as well and what's going on in China at the moment um, with the Chinese Communist Party holding their five-year meeting, which sets the investment priorities for Chinese business people because it was communist regime over there so it's all controlled centrally um, God, you didn't think we'd be talking about that on a podcast <laughs> did you um, but yeah that, that, there's a suggestion that there might be a relaxation of some of the investment rules that, that um, have prevented Chinese businesses getting interested in football clubs so there's a there's a few little factors coming together um, and it, it's, it's really interesting at the moment I, I think it was always inevitable we've seen about four new names floated in the last 48 hours it was always inevitable I think that after that statement came out that you'd see a surge in speculation around the club. Um, it's whether it's speculation will always happen, and there'll always be people kind of making inquiries. What 
really you need now is somebody with real muscle and kind of financial strength to sit down with Mike Ashley or people around him and say, right, what do you want? Here's our offer. Decide what you want to do. And that has been missing so far. But the noises around Amanda Stavely at the moment seem to be a bit more serious than some of the other stuff we've heard. The Turkish big business biscuit magnet. <laughs> um, that was, I mean, you know, that, that lasted all of about 90 minutes, didn't it? Before uh, a spokesman said that that was, that was, there was nothing in that. There's all kinds of names floating around and you'll hear more, I'm sure. But anybody who's really serious, I think will probably do their business quietly and you won't hear too much about the negotiations until it's kind of there. So yeah, interesting and uh, exciting week. But I think there's a bright future for Newcastle United kind of over the horizon, but it's still a few miles to go before we get to that point. For you, Stu, I mean, we've been here before when the club has been up for sale. Do you think that this statement smacks a bit of desperation? Because like Mark has kind of already hinted at, Mm. if there was someone there in the wings, you wouldn't need to have done it. I, I I wouldn't say desperation. I think it's an interesting tactic, but I think he's probably reached a point where there's enough interest to encourage him, but not enough to convince him that something will be pushed through and therefore he's trying to force the pace. I mean, you know, I agree with Mark. I don't, I don't think there's ever been a time when Newcastle United's not been for sale under Mike Ashley. I think if he'd offered him a profit the day after he bought it, he'd have sold it. But to go to go public like this, say it's an interesting balancing act because I don't, I don't think he'd have gone public like this if there was no interest. I don't think he'd have gone public like this if he was very close to a deal. He's clearly trying to give a nudge to a few people, maybe ratchet up the price by making those interested know that there are other people in the game. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say desperation, but it, it obviously leaves him in a, an interesting position if none of these deals come to fruition before Christmas. That's and I think that's the, that's the really interesting thing here is that we I, I'm not sure from what I was told kind of in September um, that anybody has ever really put a proper offer mm-hmm. to Mike Ashley that that tests his. Uh, will to sell and that that comes from you know various people that I think there's been people who've kind of made little noises we know we know, we heard about Barry Moat at the time although there was always um, a little bit of uncertainty about that whether that was yeah. possibly you know it was all a smokescreen for Mike Ashley just in the end keeping hold of the club um, but I don't think Barry Moat ever had the kind of money that was required but if somebody puts Mike Ashley obviously probably wants near a 350 million, even 380 million. It was four, more than 400 hmm. uh, at one point, and it seems to be suggested that that's been knocked down a little bit. If somebody comes in, as, as it's been suggested today, Amanda Stavely says 300 million, that's my offer. Then it's then that's the first time I think that probably you'd see the, the whites of Mike Ashley's eyes and it, how how desperate is he to get rid of the football club? Because I'm not sure he's desperate to get rid of yeah. it. Because if, if he holds on to it, it's still got it can run itself. Well, I mean, with the almost well, certainly the biggest TV deal ever in world football on the horizon, he's not going to sell it cheaply. Mm. Do you think he is asking too much, Stu, or do you think, well, like you say, with the deal up and coming, he's got every right to ask yeah. 400, 450 million? Really? I mean, he, he, he's a businessman, he can ask whatever he thinks people are going to pay. Obviously, the more you ask, the, the smaller the pool of people will buy it. But I mean, he, I imagine. 
Right, he'll be of the attitude that he he just won't undersell it because why should he? He can just keep hold of it until he can sell mm. it for what he thinks it's worth, which is why he's still here ten years later after all these you know numerous false dawns about yeah. uh, possible sales. What's been what's really interesting is I remember when he uh, when he he made the bid for Rangers. It was kind of two thousand and twelve, summer two thousand and twelve, and I got a phone call from a Scottish journalist saying we've heard that he's interested in Rangers, and my I put it to to somebody in Newcastle who said. I can't imagine that Mike would be interested in Rangers because um, he, he kind of regrets getting into Newcastle United because he doesn't see much. Uh, he doesn't. He, he's, it, football's caused him a whole load of hassle. But then he did go in for Rangers, and it was like, why has he done that? And it was obviously it was all for the commercial and and kind of leisure rights to Newcastle United. And there's all kinds. I think the, the, what the key things are probably things that we we can't find out too much about at the moment because. The um, Newcastle isn't a, a public traded company, so unlike Liverpool, when all of that takeover stuff was going on, they got to know every single little thing about those negotiations because they had to declare it to the stock market. Now, because Newcastle is a private company, um, and you know we will not know what the sticking points are if if there's been this non-disclosure agreement signed. Um, it probably means that we'll never we won't hear about those in-depth negotiations. We won't hear too much about the you know there's probably a lot of things that we don't know about and probably will never know about. And unfortunately, there's going to have to be a little bit of patience really from people there because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things, I think, that, that are probably have stopped people from coming in at 380 million. So when you say, is it worth 380 million? It depends what the deal is. If the deal is that Mike Ashley still has some stake in the club, it's definitely not worth 380 million. It's been suggested that he might look to try and retain some of the commercial uh, some of the commercial rights to Newcastle United branding in certain places. Now, that's not come from anybody at Newcastle or anybody who's trying to do a deal. But if that's the case, then you'd have to say that that is a, probably one of the areas where Newcastle United could potentially make a lot more money. So if Amanda Stavely comes in, she's not going to get more people through the turnstiles because at the moment Newcastle are selling out every week. Um, you could potentially make a bit more from uh, match day revenue. You know, there's there's opportunities there. Um, TV wise, they're on TV a lot, mm. and they've got a huge deal that they're that they're going to get. So, where do you ex- where where do you kind of grow Newcastle United? You grow it as a global brand. You probably grow it through commercial. So, if Mike Ashley's saying, "Well, I want a slice of that," then you're probably going to say that a lot of people are going to say, "Well, I'm interested in Newcastle United, but I'm not interested on those terms." So, really, we need to know probably what Mike Ashley's terms are and if the terms are prohibitive it's not going to happen it's not going to happen before Christmas then you've got his lawyer saying we want it done by Christmas so and, and equally you'll have other people looking at um, what happened at Rangers where he did try to get a slice of that yeah. commercial side and think well I don't want to be involved in that but yeah. I mean I, I would I would question to be honest how much grief Mike Ashley gets from running Newcastle nowadays as opposed to five years ago because he's so hands-off he doesn't live in Newcastle it's it's basically just something he owns and leaves other people to run so I think providing it's at least not like making money preferably making him an income mm. I think he can probably live with with the, the rest of it but obviously only he knows that yeah I think probably the, the, the worry that he'd have and maybe another reason why he would he, he might look to sell it is because he knows that he's onto a good thing with Rafa which kind of gives him yeah. which means the club's worth more than it would be and if and if Rafa leaves because he can't or won't give him the money that he wants which is I think you know something that we've talked about extensively on the podcast quite a lot um, and probably talked talk it to death but if I, I think he knows that this is a unique moment in time because yeah. we're still two months away from the January transfer window when the club 
will probably have to invest or, or Rafa will expect or what he does expect them to invest a little bit of money uh, in January then you know if they don't invest that Rafa walks away at the end of the season or gets another job offer at the end of the season or, or during the season uh, Newcastle suddenly becomes a lot harder sell because you haven't yeah. got he's a big asset is Rafa Benitez and, and, and Rafa knows that as well which is really interesting because he's talking to business people um, about you know he knows he's getting inquiries himself about Newcastle United. Plus, of course, with with every TV deal, they're so massive, they always leave you thinking, surely there can't be another one bigger than this. Mm-hmm. And that's So that's what you're thinking about the next TV deal as well. Again, it might be at its peak. There's an ironic that in the statement on Monday, or you know, Newcastle said you would only sell to, to, to someone and we can take the club forward as well to invest. And we had this discussion just before, but in my opinion, ironically, Mike actually could be that person if he had the heart and the desire, because he's, he's certainly got the funds. He's just missing the... But have you, have you ever heard a chairman say, I'll sell to anyone? I don't that care. Is, that's true. You know, there's, there's what Mike Ashley says and there's what Mike Ashley mm-hmm. does. And it's a very easy statement yeah. to make. I think he's always said that um, if they were going to sell, they would. They, he would want to sell to somebody who would take the club forward. Now... That sounds very noble, but the real the reality is that anybody who's going to meet his asking price is going to have to have some serious wealth. So um, it's not that noble. It's not like Rangers when the problem with Rangers and and you know God we could probably fill about four hours <laughs> for talking about Rangers from uh, and and you know there's a lot of things going on there. The problem with Rangers was it was basically available for nothing because there were so many problems there and it and it became. A situation where anybody could get involved, and a lot of people did. I think who were kind of, you know, it, there was a lot of people getting involved who um, didn't have that much, didn't have any, didn't have much personal wealth, and I think were probably at Rangers trying to make a lot of money out of, hmm. you know, buying it very cheap and building it because it had that brand and, and trying to sell it on again for a massive profit. Yeah. Mike Ashley was in it to try and get to try and get the commercial rights because he knew Rangers is, you know, Rangers potentially can get into the Champions League quickly. Yeah. Um, Newcastle is a very different thing for Mike Ashley in that he can only he will say I'm only going to sell to somebody who can invest, but it's not that Mike Ashley doesn't invest. He has invested some money in the club. I think the problem is that Mike Ashley sees the money that's being invested in football now and just thinks I'm not inter- I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to go down. I can't do the Man City route. Um, I can't do. I can't even match Bournemouth. Or, I'm, I do, not that he can't. He doesn't want. He doesn't to, want to oh, because he nice. just thinks. He said from the start that football is is full of waste. Yeah. It's full of um, people asking for money who who you know he doesn't know why they're getting paid. They've now got a tax probe looming over them, which you know obviously is completely uncertain and it's still ongoing. So we can't say too much about it. But that looks strange to me from the outside in terms of like what you know what's going to happen there as well so for Mike Ashley it's really more I think about saying you know not that I, not that he won't invest but that you know he doesn't see any point in investing mm-hmm. anymore because even if he invests a hundred million that's not going to get him into the top four of the Premier League anymore yeah. I mean how much did Everton spend in the summer well exactly and they haven't moved forward they've spent it badly Combs a good manager They've got good scouts in place, but they've spent that money badly, and that's football. Mm. You know, you have to. Well, and, and ultimately, you know, it might not work. There's, there's that many clubs investing that amount of money. There's only four can make the Champions League. Yeah. So if five clubs invest it that well, you're still not going to yeah. Uh, yeah. go to. I mean, football's long been a game where the easiest way to become a millionaire out of football is by going in as a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, we'll just briefly listen to uh, Lee Ryder, who um, obviously has been all over this story for the past couple of days. Um, so this is what Lee's take on the latest is. Well, I think Mike Ashley is just trying to see once and for all if there is any genuine interest out there, anybody who feels they can really come in and, and change the way things are at Newcastle. You know, if this had happened two years ago, I think everyone would have been getting massively excited about it. It certainly, you know, doesn't shut the door on uh, the, the prospect of a, a really bright future. But, you know, so far, only four parties have, have signed the non-disclosure agreement forms and you know we wait and see what what happens next i mean certainly it's a massive advert for somebody if they did want to come into a football club with with great prospects you know a football club that has a top manager a massive fan base a stadium already in place it's all set up really for somebody to come in and, and invest in the team in the Premier League, uh, top 10, still a chance to finish much higher up this season if, if you wanted to really push on. But these things do take time and, you know, even due diligence, you know, will take around a month uh, and we're not even at that stage yet. So Christmas would be, uh, you know, a dream for many fans uh, if they can get that sorted within that time frame. But I think realistically we've been here before, Mike, actually. Nobody could match uh, the valuation, what, what he felt was right for the club. And, you know, as far as the fans are concerned now, it's probably just a case of sitting back, seeing what happens, uh, getting right behind Rafa's team and hoping that they can secure a place in the Premier League. You know, a lot more is, is what we all hope for. But if they can, you know, get to that 40-point mark, I think people, you know, will breathe a lot easier. Fantastic. So I guess the main point there, obviously, Leeds United in Newcastle is a massive club, a massive advert. You've got fans, you've got Rafa. And he's right, you know, with, with those assets there, obviously the biggest two probably is Rafa and the fans. Mark, if you're a billionaire and you've got the heart and desire to, to want to be the best um, in the Premier League, then you have them assets there with you, you know, to, it is a, a good opportunity to buy something. Yeah, I think Newcastle United is, is a fantastic opportunity. Um, I think that it's a it's an opportunity that probably needs a substantial amount of investment because it, mm. it's almost like uh, from the outside it's, it's like it'd be like buying a house that from the outside like one of these kind of massive mansions that from the outside looks like oh wow that looks absolutely incredible then you get inside and you're like oh right well that needs work that needs work I think at Newcastle United you've got about six things I can think of off the top of my head that need investment the training ground the stadium the squad the academy. Um, I think, if I'm being honest, probably commercially they need a bit of work as well, and I think their global um, their global kind of profile, if you will, needs needs working on as well. Now, those are six things I can think of off the top of my head. The training ground. I mean, I went past uh, Tottenham's new stadium um, in the summer, and I went past the the, the uh, tube stop. That um, and you looked at it and you thought that is incredible, and then you read about it. They've got the the corporate facilities. They've got that there now. They've got like a tunnel club. They've got a I think a Michelin starred um, chef doing match day stuff. They've got um, they've got a craft brewery down there working. I mean, this is you can you're talking about there. You've got like the the corporate world will look at Tottenham and think, yeah, you know, there would be serious money in there. And we had we had Brian Aiken on the podcast earlier, and Newcastle are at the, the very foundation stage of trying to do that. If you're a billionaire looking to come into Newcastle United, you can grow all of that stuff 
but it's going to require a lot of money. Now, emotionally, and this is where Rafa, I think this is why people love Rafa in Newcastle so much and why we've all said Rafa's such a good thing at Newcastle United, because he gets the idea that Newcastle United mm-hmm. can be more than it has been recently. Yeah. You're going to have to take, it's going to be somebody who's going to have to come in with a bit of vision um, because they're going to have to invest some money, but they're going to have to also see what Newcastle United can be. Hey, football is not like Stu just said there. Football is not an easy world to come in and get success in. Even Leicester, they won the league. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, their owners have messed up since and they were messing up before then. Um, Arsenal's owner is yeah. a billionaire. He's messed up. Manchester United have not got it right since yeah. right, Ferguson. Man City even have wasted millions and millions of pounds. Um, Chelsea, you know, I mean, Chelsea's probably the one where the money has probably cl- more closely correlated in success because they they went from being a pretty middle-of-the-road Premier League club in the top eight to now being one of the world powerhouses in football. Um, but they got in at the right time. It's going to be yeah. hard for anybody coming in at Newcastle. It's a massive opportunity, but they're going to have to rely on people with real skill in football if they come in. That's where Rafa comes in. I mean, the, the right time is probably sort of the early noughties. If you come in then and match these other clubs, great. Now there's huge potential, but as Mark says, you've got a lot of catching up to do to catch these clubs. Mm-hmm. Chelsea have, are unrecognisable from the, the club Newcastle are competing with in the, uh, at, at, the, at the turn of the century. You know, Tottenham are... Even Arsenal, for all their problems, have still kicked away from Newcastle United, you know. Um, so it's not impossible, but as I say, they're, they're playing catch up. Yeah. And just on the Manor Stavely, I mean, Mark, what's the latest that you understand? Is there genuine interest in that? And is she going to be kind of the middle woman, the broker of the deal, or is she going to be actually the sole owner? Yeah, well, well the Amanda Stavely thing's quite interesting because uh, up until the start of this week, Newcastle hadn't heard anything um, beyond what had happened after the Liverpool game. So it didn't sound particularly um, particularly as if that, that one was, was going anywhere at the time. And there was a lot of talk about Liverpool. I think from what from what I've heard, she's uh, been put off the, by Liverpool by the price tag because Liverpool is a Champions League club with the massive infrastructure, you know, and they're asking for a lot of money. They're asking for way more than Newcastle United are asking for. Um, so she's now... I think being in contact again with Newcastle United um, recently, which which is exciting and interesting. Um, there's a lot of people being quoted as close to her. I think you aren't necessarily that close to her, but Reuters have run a story today, which we understand there's something in, saying that she is interested in Newcastle United, values it around three hundred million pounds. Is is their take on it? Now, as I said, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. Um, but my understanding would be with Amanda Stavely that she would be um, actually a front line um, she would be the front woman for the bid she'd be the owner and chairwoman um, which uh, I don't know too much about her character I don't know too much about what she's like but from my quick take on that would be that it would be good news because um, she knows she, Rafa knows of her he certainly his associates um, have spoken to her a few times she spoke to Rafa I think she would recognise how important he was. He he is. Um, whereas you know whether somebody comes in from uh, another country, from the Gulf, and you know does something differently or wants wants to run the club differently, that's that's the question. I think Amanda Stabley would be. Um, it would be an injection of funds into Newcastle United, and um, probably bringing her own people in as well. Um, the question mark would be how much how much who would be backing it you know who would be behind it because 
her wealth is quite interestingly, I mean, she has made a lot of money through backers, but PCP Capital, which is what she's, um, which is her, um, her, uh, her main business, that is a wealth fund. So it's basically, it's other people, she invests in stuff to make their money, basically. So it would be investing in Newcastle United to make their, to make their money. Now she could sell that to her investors easily by saying, you know, look, it does make money. Yes. Newcastle United has made money. Yes, it's changed. Every year. This would probably be the this would probably be the first year this year where it, it doesn't make money. Um, but that's because they got relegated. It's made money every year um, for the last four or five years. And they were they were ahead of the curve in making yeah, money. Yeah, they were, yeah. Which they were making money the problem 14, on the field, yeah. wasn't it? But yeah. I mean I, I think um, I think the most important thing is that whoever comes in Rafa Benitez needs to have their confidence and likewise they need to have his confidence that, uh, sorry uh, they need to have confidence in him that they're not going to replace him in the way that new managers do because as Mark said Rafa Benitez is one of the big assets to the club but I mean one thing I would say is is be very wary of the people who are out in the open because how much did you hear of Mike Ashley's interest before Mike Ashley bought the club how much did you hear of Robin and Roman yeah. Beveridge's interest before he bought Chelsea it's often not the ones who put their head above the parapet who end up actually buying the club. Mm. And I guess prices also probably briefly mentioned it, but if you look, you know, Chelsea costs around which 130 million, City 210 million, Leicester, uh, I think it was about 40 million, uh, and John W. Henry bought Liverpool for 300 million. It shows just how much uh, prices have changed in football, just how much more money there is. I mean, yeah. Liverpool was only bought 2010. Yeah, you know, well, that's still a couple of TV deals ago, yeah. isn't it? So that Liverpool will be worth massively more. Well, Manchester City last uh, an interesting one is Manchester City were they sold uh, I think a 13 percent or 12 percent stake. I have to double check that, but it was like a minority stake to to the Chinese government um, for 210 million. Mm. So that effectively values the club at what two billion? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's so that's the kind of you know they have now um, gone into a different sphere. But Newcastle United, if they went for three hundred and fifty million pounds, would be the second biggest takeover in the history of English football. The only the only one that's bigger would be Manchester United. Um, bear in mind, Manchester United have a global brand. You know they are the kind of New York, uh, the, New, the New York Yankees kind of. You know if you if you wear a Man United baseball hat in. In New York, people would know who you were talking about. They wouldn't know necessarily with Newcastle United, um, and that was a leveraged buyout. So who, the the guys who came in and bought New Manchester United, it wasn't through their own money. That's I mean that's the the mad thing, you know. Um, I mean, what's really interesting? You always kind of wonder why people do it. I, I, I used to cover Wolves, and I remember going to see Steve Morgan uh, at his estate in Cheshire um, when after, just after he'd taken Newcastle, just after he'd taken over at Wolves. And um, so I asked him, why, why did you do it? And he said, it's, the, it's the, um, the, the best kind of boys toy that you can possibly buy. So, you know, it's like when you were a kid uh, and people were playing these computer games or playing board games, so pretending to be a football manager. And he said, like, this is what I'm buying this. I'm buying this because I want to do it. He, he subsequently sold Wolves uh, a few years later, having found that it was not as easy as he thought. But that's what Amanda Stavely would get out of it. She'd get, you know, if she's... She's obviously not. She's obviously keen on on sort of getting involved in football. I think she's obviously a massive football fan. Um, th- there's all kinds of different motivations that different people would have. If it was in the Gulf, you know, we had a great piece the other week by Neil Mitchell, who lives there, and, and I think he, you know he's got real insight. A guy who used to be at the Newcastle United Sports Trust, a guy who lives there, and he said that if Saudi Arabia or Qatar got involved, it would be like this kind of geopolitical kind of. 
you know, um, showing off kind of thing yeah. where, you know, I was looking, I was thinking of a ruder word that I could say. Um, it was, you know, it But that's be, often the motivation, isn't yeah, it? You look at the guitarists and businessmen. I mean, Steve Morgan uh, wasn't even a Wolves fan. I was at the Liverpool Echo about a year or two earlier when he tried to buy Liverpool. Yeah. And, it, you know, it might be that Newcastle, look, again, end up with someone who's not a Newcastle United fan. But as we were saying before, our fair, Roman Abramovich, his first choice mm-hmm. wasn't Chelsea. If they're, if they're willing to invest in it, it doesn't really yeah. matter, to be perfectly honest. I mean, Rafa, Bene- Rafa Benitez didn't have any personal involvement with no. Newcastle United before he came. And, and and now you would say, apart from somebody like a Kevin Keegan thing, he'd say he probably gets Newcastle United as well as anybody who um, who isn't, who isn't yeah. you know, a Newcastle United fan. I mean, you know, I'm not a Newcastle United fan. Stu isn't. Um, Andrew is. Um, but, you know, I, I think you kind of, if you come here, you would realise that you know, there is a big opportunity. It's one of the great clubs, probably along with, you know, kind of Leeds United, um, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, great northern clubs that you could kind of transform. If, if you get them rolling, you can kind of transform them again. The greatest of respect to Southampton, um, who were taken over by Chinese money recently, um, you know, they've got a great history, Southampton. They're, they're, a, they're a good club. But, you know, I think Newcastle United potentially could be uh, on another level to that. Um, you know, I, I say that about Sunderland as well, by the way, and I know you know a lot of the listeners here will be like, oh, you know, Sunderland. But Sunderland, it, it's a great shame what's happened to Newcastle and Sunderland in the recent era because they're both, you know, incredibly proud traditions that, that can motivate people, can get people off their feet, and, and get the, the city behind them. Um, and you know, I think you can kind of see that from Newcastle United that there is a, there is this yearning for something to happen. Um, and I, I don't think Mike Ashley has ever tapped into that. I don't think he's ever really been serious about that. I think he stood on the terraces with Newcastle fans and made out that he he understood and he got it. But when it came down to it, it was he, he doesn't get it because he doesn't not because he doesn't he doesn't want to get it. I think he he probably does want to. He did want to be successful at one point, but I think he's made so many mistakes. Um, he's so sceptical about football people that he will never ever be able to take Newcastle United forward and the good thing about the message that he said was that he acknowledged that for the first time I think properly um, since the original Keegan gate and all that he acknowledged that he's not the man to take Newcastle United forward because he's not he's not Um, and if he stays and keeps going Newcastle could have a form of success but it'll never be what it could be under Mike Ashley because he just He's not. He's had ten years to make it work, and he hasn't. Views, you What's different this time around compared to the last time it was on sale? That's time before that. I mean, it does feel different. For you can you see different? I think probably the main difference is what Mark mentioned earlier. Rafa Benitez is in place. That gives them such a well. I won't say competitive advantage, but certainly lessens the competitive disadvantage when you come looking at some of these mega squads that they're up against. They don't have a fantastic playing squad, but they do have a great manager with a great track record and the goodwill of the supporters. And that's a great great place to build from because if anybody can put a, a squad together that can challenge and can punch above its weight, Rafa Benitez is one of those people, which is why I say it's really important that whoever takes charge, Rafa Benitez believes in them and doesn't have his head turned by other jobs. And that they stand by him and don't try and get their own money. 
Mark, is Christmas a realistic uh, ambition uh, or hope might actually yeah. to, to leave? Well, if, if Amanda Staveley um, has, uh, as we kind of understand, has met Newcastle United or is due to meet Newcastle United, I think that, you know, it, it's, it was understood that it's earlier this week she was going to meet uh, Newcastle United. I, I think that it, it is realistic if they meet, they get on and there's some kind of form of agreement that like, right, this could be something we take forward, then it is realistic. Um, if it is just if this fishing mission, if this fishing trip, sorry, doesn't get the people, you know, in the first few weeks that it, that he hoped it would be, I think it's going to roll on a little bit longer. Um, so it really depends. I think this is a kind of crucial period, really, for the for the takeover interest. It's going to have to be somebody with, you know, deep pockets for it to be Christmas. But if they have got deep pockets and they're interested and they can get it moving, it shouldn't take too long because due diligence potentially would be what six to eight weeks possibly if you know good lawyers are on it and there's nothing too too troubling there um it could be done within six to eight weeks yeah but i mean i'd be like the cynic in me is i'd be you know i don't want to get too carried away i'd be i still would be pleasantly surprised if by first of january 2018 there's a new owner money to invest in the january transfer window um, and Newcastle are a different club than, than what they are today. I, I'd be su- I'd be surprised because it has never moved that quickly. But we did last time. If you did, did away with due yeah. diligence, you could Tell do it in a few days. But Ashley showed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's whether it's whether there's anybody with the motivation that yeah. Mike Ashley obviously had at that time. Now, you know, Mike Ashley. The reports, I think, at the time it wasn't like actually either wanted to quickly flip the club, yeah, make some make some quick money off it, um, which I think was, you know, a lot of people who with with kind of credible track records have said that that's what Mike Ashley intended to do. He's never said himself that that was what he intended to do, um, or alternatively, he wanted to turn it into a success. Um, so he was motivated. He wanted to get involved. He wanted to to showcase Sports Direct, which he's done, uh, but he never made he's never made it a success. He was motivated. That's the question, isn't it? What's is the motivation of these people? But it's interesting because Andrew Henderson, the, the lawyers for Ashley, um, have said that they've been inundated with interest. Um, I suspect that one of the problems with takeovers is you get a lot of these intermediaries who see the chance for a quick buck. Um, and they, you know, I know a few of them because um, they're quite happy to talk to you because they, they want to, you know, put forward their own claims. The guy who was quoted yesterday, um, about the Turkish guy Murat Ulka was I thought that was quite interesting because you don't normally see quotes and when you do see quotes you kind of like Stu said earlier you kind of your alarm bells always ring because why would you want to be quoted at this stage would you want to be quoted would you want to talk? unless you were trying to force somebody's hand or get yourself noticed it wouldn't make much sense um, but but Christmas I think I think you know if you, no, if you could go into Christmas with due diligence starting you know, and have some optimism yeah. about we can invest in January because we're, we're confident this money's coming, mm. but the ink not be dried. Mm. I think that's, you know, the, I think that will be a, a result, really. But, yeah. you know, as I say, we, Mark and I have seen a lot of these over the years, so we'll perhaps yeah. uh, wait and see. Yeah, the st- I mean, the statement that, that um, Ashley's lawyers put out made it clear that the timing was because of the January transfer window and they, they wanted to sort of give new investors the chance to invest in January. Um so, you know, it's almost like, as I said before, you know, it's this tantalising idea that you could be really close to something. 
but yeah, there's still so many hurdles to get over before you get there because um, I actually think that January is a, a, a poor time to really be looking to do major investment anyway. If, if, you di- if they did come in, if Man State did come in, and they were talking about 150 million to spend in January, I think was one of the reports, which was a little bit like. I, I felt like. One player in January. Yeah, I felt like I wouldn't. You know, look, what do they need in January? They probably need a striker. They definitely, well, they definitely need a striker. They maybe need a goalkeeper and possibly a defender. But would you, if you were Rafa Benitez, would you want to spend £150 million in a time when the prices are at a premium? I would think that even if there's no takeover, Newcastle will bring in a player on loan, possibly, and they'll spend the money that the Premier League distribute just before the January transfer window, which is meant to um, give teams a chance to, to spend, which I think is about uh, £15, £20 or so maybe a bit less than that. Might, no, sorry, it's a bit less than that, I think nearer the 10 million mark, I think, from what, from what somebody was telling me. So that then gives you a little bit of freedom to spend um, in January. And I think that's probably what they'll do. And I think if Amanda Staveley comes in and the, the prices go up, you might not see Rafa Benitez necessarily want to spend loads of money because he might think, I need to strike it because we're, not, we're light on goals up front. Um, but the goalkeeper that I want might not be available until the summer. It'll be it'll be an interesting. It'll be, it's an interesting few weeks we've got ahead. We haven't even talked about football yet. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about football. Well, yeah, well, Vince McMahon's an interesting one. So um, Vince McMahon is every time the. Uh, I think it's just basically because there's a lot of wrestling fans in uh, in Newcastle. I think this one comes up every time. It was it started. I remember in 2011. It started as a kind of. Um, internet Twitter kind of rumour when Twitter was kind of in its infancy so you didn't get quite so many of these in the nose putting stuff out so when something gained a bit of traction on Twitter um, it, it felt like it had a bit more credibility so we and then ended up having to put that to, to Newcastle United who said it was complete rubbish I then sort of thought because it, it does around every time because people like, because I think possibly if I'm being perfectly honest because Vince McMahon and Newcastle United put together in a headline equals clicks for any organisation out there. Um, and but then I spoke to a guy who who does wrestling journalism in, in America about six months ago, who said that it was Shane McMahon who was part of a group of American young American kind of businessmen who were interested in looking at Premier League clubs, and they were looking at all the clubs that might be interested. And Shane McMahon was part of this thing, and because uh, he is in football. Vince McMahon doesn't know anything about football, not bothered. Um, Let's talk to others. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but I mean, Vince McMahon yeah. would be, uh, I know there's a lot of people. As I, I said, be wary of the ones who could do put the head of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like Vince McMahon also set up an American football league called the XFL that bombed within about <laughs> six months. So, you know, the fact that he's made the wrestling company that he owns a, a huge juggernaut doesn't necessarily mean that he would be Massive, but it, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Half-time entertainment would certainly be better. Yeah, yeah I can think of a few. I can think of a few uh, Newcastle fans who'd be getting giddy about about that one. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think Vince McMahon's going to take over Newcastle. No. <laughs> uh, in six months' time, if, if, he's, uh, if he's in charge, <laughs> just um, stay on that fence. Yeah, uh, no. Well, you can never say. That's the point. You can never say never. Uh, fantastic. Well, moving on, we'll um, just briefly relook at Southampton. The Southampton game, obviously, two-two. Castle played quite well. I thought, you know, attacking wise, they looked quite good. Obviously, you, you know, they threw the lead away twice, which will be very disappointing. Rafa won't be happy with that, with that mm. will he, Mark? No, and I think probably Rafa after the game was, uh, he looked to me not not angry, 
but as frustrated as he's been all season, I mean, more frustrated than he was after Huddersfield when they played pretty poorly, more frustrated probably than he would, would have been after Brighton when, again, they were quite poor, because against Brighton and Huddersfield, they didn't really ever have the, the platform to win the game. Against Southampton, they had the platform twice to win the game, um, and he'd spent all the international break working on these defensive um, kind of movements, I think he calls them, that the Newcastle United needed to make. And then then the two goals they conceded were both defensive errors, really. Um, one from Lejeune, who was peerless, I thought, apart from that, was really good. Um, the other one from Manquillo, who again had a good game apart from that moment. Now, Rafa's all about concentration and making sure that defensively you're, you're tight. Um, the goalkeeper probably could have done a little bit better for the first Gabidini goal. A bit harsh on Elliot, probably, because he... He's had a good season so far. Um, but, I mean, you know, they looked comfortable, I thought, apart from that. they never. I don't think they, they had a bit of an end of the first half. They didn't look brilliant. But they looked comfortable and they looked like they could have scored more goals, you know. One thing that was noticeable was Rob Elliott. He seems to be coming out off the line more for the crosses, for the corners. He didn't look all that confident. Do you, do you, think, do you think that's something that can be coached? into a goalkeeper or do you think you know a keeper has that confidence to come out or he doesn't? I think a lot of it comes from uh, the players in front of you and obviously he had a different centre-back on Sunday um, it doesn't help it's not you know it's not an excuse but I think I think the more belief you've got in the defence in front of you the, the better a goalkeeper will look in those situations but I think I think Newcastle are in an interesting position three wins three, three losses two draws five of the next six games of the very winnable things could go either way really and, and Rafa will be hoping these two draws are a, a platform to go on but as Mark says I mean you'd be livid that they conceded twice to a Southampton team that struggled so much definitely and just before we go into obviously it's Crystal Palace on Saturday I thought you know we, we, we seem to be discussing now as a Krez nearly every week um, but I thought he had a, quite a, a very good game on Sunday it, obviously he's doing the running yeah. and he got his goal which will be a massive confidence boost um, what, what, what did you make of his performance? Yeah I think I think Perez is, um, I think Perez is always going to be one who splits opinion because it's pretty clear that you know number ten is 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 a problem position for a lot of teams in the Premier League because you, you really need a midfielder in that position at the moment because a striker any every team seems to want to defend from the front at the moment and I think so Perez for that in that perspective is doing you know is doing a good job for Newcastle because he is. Um, he's kind of making the moves that Rafa wanted. I think he played well on on, on Saturday. Yeah, I thought he scored. He scored well. Uh, the goal was pretty good. Uh, Fraser Forster had an absolute shocker for it. But you know, I, I just I, like I kind of had a bit of a you know a, a, like I got a bit frustrated after the game um, because I just read so many people. It was like after the game, it was like, well, oh, we need a new goalkeeper in January. We need a new striker in January. Perez can't shouldn't play anymore. Um, and and I just think like at the moment, just for all the takeover talk and all of that, just you, you know, just think like this team is actually not that bad. It, it, it you know, it's a, it's it's not it's doing better than the sum of its parts. And Perez is part of that. You know, if Rafa had wanted a creative number ten who was going to ping passes and do really well, he would have kept Sander Young. But the, the but the the idea of what he wanted to, what he wants his team to be at this stage is more of the Perez mould and um, you know I'm not saying you know you can't criticise Rafa or you can't criticise the, the players involved or say that they need to do better but you've got to come into it with your eyes open about what Newcastle are trying to do um, you know we've said it before like McLaren tried to do something that didn't work and he was criticised for that what Rafa's trying to do is has worked for the first 
full season because they went up as champions. And at the moment, they're ninth in the Premier League, which is which is not bad for a, a newly promoted team. So, you know, Perez, I thought Perez played well. Um, he's going to start on Saturday. Whatever anybody says, he's going to start on Saturday. I think Josh Lee will start on Saturday as well, who's quiet again on Saturday. But I think that's the front That's the front two. That is going to be the front two. And it's going to be the front two against Palace. And I would think probably against Bournemouth and Burnley and probably Man United. Uh, and unless... Mitrovic comes off the bench and, and really and really makes a big difference on Saturday. I think that'll be the that'll be the change for yeah. for Uncle. That's the interesting question. And obviously, Dwight Gale comes on, and you could see the first time he really sprinted, you could just you instantly saw something was up. And then he's had for the last ten minutes or so yeah. uh, with an injury. It's first of all devastating to see because he is a, he has got a talent and he has got the hunger to prove himself in the Premier League. Yeah, but it just looks like is he going to get that chance? I think at the moment it's all kind of you know just as everything seemed to be dropping nicely for him this time last year, he's just getting no luck. Um, I think against apparently against Huddersfield, Dwight Gale was um, you know we've had a poor game. It was his second start. He was so desperate to start that game. He had sickness bug. I think he had diarrhoea um, from what I've, from what I've been told, um, and it, he was completely washed out for that game. He told the team, he told the Newcastle United uh, coaching staff that he was fine to play. Then he played and he wasn't. And I think probably Rafa would have gone with Mitrovic for that game if he'd have thought there was any chance of him not being well. So he's kind of, his, his over eagerness to do well has resulted in the problems that he's having. It feels a little bit like it's not going not gonna to happen for him this season and it might not happen for him at all in Newcastle. They nearly sold him in January and I know he was desperate to, to stay or he was kind of certainly keen to stay, but. You know, his body language isn't brilliant. Um, he's a kind of confidence player. I really feel for him because he's, you know, this was what he was working for all last season to try and get into the Premier League, show what he could do. You know, his advisors were sort of thinking if he does well, you know, is England there for him because they haven't got a lot of options up front. If he gets 10 goals, 15 goals this season, could he go to the World Cup? You know, he's a million miles away from that at the moment. He's, he's going to, you know, Mitrovic was the second choice when before he got suspended Mitrovic went to the back of the queue looked like Gale was going to be second choice and probably would get some chances you know there's those question marks over his injuries and I think that's you know it's, it's a crying shame for the lad because he worked so hard last year um, and he's a good player but just not happening for him I, th- I think Mark's hit on the key word there confidence he looks since January like a player who hasn't had confidence in his own body and therefore Benitez yeah, doesn't seem to have confidence in him and until the first of those is resolved you know he yeah. can't really can't really get anywhere yeah the hamstring thing I mean you hear behind the scenes that, that you know it, he is because he's had the hamstring problems before I think it's, it's a, it affects him psychologically and I think he only wants to play when he's 100% uh, understandably because he knows that if he, if he pulls up and it go, goes wrong then he's out for a long time and that's just not and what he's he let the team down which exactly. is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't this isn't a guy who's like you know, you know, like running for the the, the physio every every five minutes. He wants to play. He's desperate to play. But yeah, but it's, it's, as you say, he's, he's been caught up before when he's yeah. convinced the manager to play him, not being able to yeah. complete the game. He won't want to be in that position yeah. again. One thing that stood out and was largely evident on um, Sunday was the kind of team spirit and the willingness of everyone to run. Yeah, I mean, if you look at certain players individually. You're thinking, yeah, you're not really that, not that quality that maybe Benitez is looking for but collectively as a whole unit 
you know, the effort to run and putting the bodies well, on the line, it's, it's fantastic to see. That's the point about Perez, isn't it, really? Yes, they could get a better number 10 than Perez, but Perez buys into what they want to do. And that's the sort of players, they're the only sort of players that prosper under Rafa mm. Benitez. He won't stand for anything else. That's and just Absolutely. briefly before we, we do head on to Palace, DeAndre Yedlin was a very lucky boy, wasn't he, Mark? Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, I know you guys had a podcast, which I wasn't part of, the, uh, where you talked about the kind of Toma Hemed thing. That's payback, isn't it, there? He should have gone 100%. Yeah, I mean, it could have even been straight red with a really, um, you know, with a, bat, with a referee who doesn't take... You know, he's quite card happy. He should have been a red card. I mean, he was, he was definitely second yellow. But they'll take that, won't they? Because they've been unlucky with some decisions in the last year and a half. Do you think it was a risk for Benitez to leave him on? Do you think? And what was the what was the idea behind that? I mean, because he was at that point when the first substitutions were made, he was like a headless chicken. Yeah. Like this. It was it wasn't looking like he was going to end no, up on the pitch. But I think I think Rafa took a uh, probably took a kind of calculated gamble on him, really. We saw when um, Newcastle played Wolves last season, and Mitrovic was very lucky to stay on the pitch. There, um, he kept he kept Mitro on the pitch till half time, and a lot of people, a lot of people said after his goal, take him off, get him subbed. And I think Benitez said afterwards because everybody was like, "Oh, you waited until half time to sub him," and he said, "I didn't want to sub him at all." He said, "I didn't think it was Mitrovic at fault. I thought it was the referee who was letting the game go go wrong." So. He does have some of that faith in his players that they're going to be able to be disciplined and managed. And I think it was a sign of, you know, I trust Yedlin here. Yeah. I think he can. I think he will keep himself. And he did. Then he kept his nose out of trouble, didn't he, for, for a while. And, um, and he stayed on the pitch. And yeah, they'll be happy, happy that he kind of got through that game because he, um, he was lucky. But I think even with 10 men, they would have, they would have got the draw. I mean, and it's great to see Yedlin back as well. He's, he's performed quite well since he's returned. Yeah, different player. Different player from different player from the guy who they signed um, and improved, you know, smart character, you know, I think a lot of the American players who come over have a great attitude, their attitude's spot on and I think it probably comes from the system that you that, that you brought through, you know, I mean Rafa talk, talks about it, you know, you do, it sounds terrible to sort of, you know, group players by um, nationality because everybody's different, you know, and not every French player is like Moussa Zoko or Yohan Kabai. But um, you can definitely see in American players when they come over, you know, they, they just have an amazing, they're great to talk to because they're just, they're always really, they're always, they're always like very smart guys, you know, yeah. I've never, you know, I've, I've interviewed about three or four of the American players and they're always like, pleasure to speak to, really smart people. I think it's the, the, the way they come through the, the system. system and things. Yeah, and they talk to reporters yeah. a lot, they talk a lot, they're yes. encouraged to, Go out and get interviewed. You and know, not be afraid. Yeah, they're not afraid of talking. They're not afraid, and I think it it helps. And you know, I wish English players, uh, young English players, would be a little bit more open to the idea of like, look, you know, don't be afraid to to talk about, you know, even to the manager and have this kind of learning culture, um, challenge what they know, you know. And I think Yedlin's one of those. You can see it in him. He's a, he's a really, you know, smart guy. Fantastic. Now, Crystal Palace obviously headed to St James Park this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, we're thumped. By Sydney, thumped by Manchester United, and then rocked up Chelsea and deservedly beat Chelsea Stewart. Yes. Um, do you think that's why Alisson is his plan starting to work a little bit? Was it a bit luck? Was it Chelsea badly performing? I mean, what what did Newcastle expect? I think the biggest thing was uh, Wilfred Zaha. Just going to mention his name as well. <laughs> first, first appearance of the season for them, and he made such a difference. I mean, I think uh, I think if you look at that Palace squad, 
they they don't look to me that they're certainly not a perfect squad, but they don't look to me like a squad that should have uh, not won any of its first seven games and not scored a goal. You know, there's, there's quality wide players there. We know how good a player Johan Kabay is and things like that. There are definite things to be wary of, and I say they're a, they're a team with a bit of confidence. So I say while this, while this ought to be the start of a run of winnable games for Newcastle United, it's well nothing's guaranteed in the Premier League. It's as simple as that. Obviously, Mark, you mentioned there, you had goodbye, you'd be back to James Parker. Man, who was well loved in his time, maybe yeah. his exit soured that somewhat. But I think a lot of players, a lot of fans would probably take, maybe take him back if he was a few years younger. Um, uh, and obviously, Townsend as well. He came very, Kabai came very close to rejoining Newcastle in the summer that he went to Palace. Um, he was offered to Newcastle several times, wanted to come back. Um, Pardew was the one who ended up showing more faith in Kabai, but I think he was very, very close to coming back and it would have been a popular return for him at the time. I think Newcastle opted to go for Vinaldum in the end because they wanted to change the way they were playing. Um, Graham Carr, I think, had seen Kabai playing in the Champions League and didn't feel, it felt he'd maybe plateaued and he got to the, to, the top of his game when he was at, when he was at uh, Newcastle, uh, which I think subsequently probably is true because I don't think he's had the impact at Palace that he, he had at Newcastle um, but a, you know a, a terrific in his in his prime at Newcastle he was a terrific player like a real I mean he was a Newcastle United player through and through a touch of class in his passing and his um, in his kind of technique but also a real steal about him as well he could be he could be a real like I don't know how loud to swear he could be a real <laughs> nasty, when he wanted to be you know he put his he put himself about um, and he was, you know, and I think he is another one who would have stayed at Newcastle United if they'd shown some ambition. Um, he wasn't a mercenary. He didn't want, he didn't want out straight away. The, the way that Newcastle kind of progressed after the fifth place finish was that they turned a whole load of those players as if to say, well, Newcastle don't, aren't interested in getting where we want to be. Um, Townsend was an unfortunate one because I think he would, again would have stayed. He was really keen. He loved working with Rafa. Would have come back in January as well. Um, Townsend's uh, I think been a bit unfortunate in, in that you don't join Crystal Palace and expect to have three managers or four managers <laughs> or whatever it is um, I mean they are like they're a great example we were talking earlier about takeovers and how it doesn't always guarantee success they're a great example they've thrown they've thrown millions and millions of that team yeah. and you know they've done they, they've actually moved backwards the team itself looks really good but they've yeah they had Sam Allardyce, they went to for Frank Bowen, and they've gone for Roy Hodgson, and um, you know they're going to have a job to stay up this season because they made such a bad start. But you know they go to they beat Chelsea, and and automatically you know they're a different proposition now from what they would have been if they'd have got humped off Chelsea. Definitely looking at Newcastle stew, um, centre midfield obviously is the big question. Obviously yeah. then the centre backs as well. So we're looking at maybe it's Kevin Clark the one who's going to come back in for. Um, Lejeune, do you think? Well, I mean, you, you did wonder if, if Clark was left out um, partly because he was involved in the international break. I mean, that was a team yeah. made up of players who'd been on the training ground for fortnight, wasn't it? Obviously, that's not the case now. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's certainly a possibility. And I think it will be quite a while before we stop debating what the makeup of the midfield should be, whether it should be uh, Hayden or the, the two playmakers, I think. But it worked yeah. quite well, Hayden and Shelby, on, on over the weekend. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it did. Um, 
But I think it was a. Uh, I think that then Shelby Marino worked well against Liverpool, so it might be horses for courses. Yeah. Isn't it, Mark? I'd be really surprised if 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 Marino doesn't come back into the team actually. So, um, so that's you, Marino, back in for Hayden. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And yeah. centre back wise, so Lejeune and Lascelles. Yeah, Lejeune. I think I think Lejeune will probably keep his place. Um, it's really interesting because there's three three players in both of those key positions, and they'll be keeping each other on their toes and. Newcastle haven't had that in the, through the spine of the team for such a long time. You know they've they've got effectively competition with good players in midfield and in the centre of defence, and even up front really because Mitrovic. Although I don't think Rafa will see it this way, but Mitrovic has got to be knocking on the door because he had a good international break. Hostels off the tinges, maybe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a. Um, I, I think I think he probably has some work to do there, but. Um, What's really nice is that Newcastle have got some options there because they haven't had options. The final one I was going to ask about is the wingers, Stu. Yeah. Matt Ritchie has been brilliant this season. Christian Atu in stages. Um, Obviously, Jacob Murphy's in the wings. Rolando Aaron's, you know, look good in pre-season. He's not really, well, he has features. Um, Again, Matt with confidence in his body. So, I mean, do you think Christian Atu's done enough to, again, cement a place on Saturday or do you think he might turn and say go on then Jacob because he has a chance well I, th- I think the question is probably less has Christian Atsu done enough to cement his place and more has anyone else done enough to replace him which obviously Jacob Murphy hasn't yet as you say Rolando Aarons hasn't yet I would suspect he'll, he'll stay with him for now but always di- always dangerous to second guess a Rafa Benitez team selection <laughs> yeah. isn't it? and for you mom, I mean, would you, you got any insight on the issue with Rolando Aaron's a lot of fans asking you know where's Aaron's he was yeah. uh, funny enough spotted at the gym in water yesterday with LaSalle so he's clearly uh, uh, one of my friends texted me to say he's, he's in here with LaSalle and it was on Good. the Snapchat as well right. <laughs> so I don't right. think there's any injury he's, problems from when no, I saw he's, he's, he's okay um, I think that you know again it's another one with Rafa where he wants to see it on the training ground day in day out he want, and and I think that Rolando Aaron's has, has you know, has had so many injuries. He's had problems with things that you know that where his form's kind of gone in and out. Aaron just had to keep his head down and get on with it. I don't think he's he's done enough yet to 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 basically. I think it's just a question of you know people will ask people ask about Mitrovic, people ask about uh, Aaron's, and it's just Rafa's preferences. And at the moment, um, Aaron's isn't Aaron's isn't isn't there. You know, I know he's I know he's played quite well in, in fits and starts, but. He's by no means got a body of work in the Premier League that, that justifies um, coming in for Atsu at the moment. You know, uh, could he be on the bench and yeah, potentially? But I mean, he's not had a really good game in the Premier League for two, three seasons. So that's the reason why. Fantastic, and that part of the week now, where well, that time of the week, week well, though, it's predictions, Mark. What did I say last week? I said they were going to win, didn't I? And I got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> that's the chance yeah. to gamble. Uh, we'll go one 0 Newcastle. Stu? Um, I'll go for Newcastle win as well. Yeah, 2-1. 2-1, there we go. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this week's Everything is Black and White podcast. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where we'll bring you all the latest on, obviously, the sale, the takeover and uh, live match coverage of the game against Palace on Saturday. And maybe what Rolando Aarons is doing in the gym uh, next week. <laughs> you never know, you never know. Thank you very much. <laughs>